Welcome everyone to another episode of Live Booleans with uh, myself and Costa. Hey, how's it going? Good, mate. Um, we are joined, luckily to be joined today by SA Entrepreneur, uh, Mighty Kingdom CEO, we all know him, we all love him, uh, Mr. Phil Mays. Phil, how are you? I am very good. I'm glad we finally got this together. <laughs> it's been a yeah. little while. <laughs> no, it's been awesome. Long time fan, first time caller. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, that's touching. Um, yeah, so welcome. Um, as you know, as I'm sure many of the listeners know, you are the CEO slash founder of Mighty Kingdom. Started uh, what is it now? 2010. Uh, 2010. So the 11, year, 11 coming years. Coming up to yeah. 12. Coming up to 12. Yeah. Coming up to 12. Um, great story in there for people to hear about. You know starting a games company in South Australia during the GFC and, <laughs> you know, I've heard secondhand from, um, you know, Dan Thorsland, the start of that. So it'd be awesome to hear from you some more stories from that. But um, let's start with the beginning, I guess. Um, your intro into game development, was it a lateral step or you always knew you were going into game development? How far back do we want to go? As far <laughs> back as you can remember. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, right? So I, I grew up in New Zealand. I'm, I'm from New Zealand, uh, and I like to tell people that any time, any opportunity I get. <laughs> but uh, growing up in, in small town New Zealand, I, I was really into gaming from a very young age. Very supported by my my parents who who bought Commodore 64 and and you know a bunch of uh, game consoles as I, as I was growing up. So I was I was, I was really into gaming, and uh, through the Commodore 64, learned how to program Basic, but way back in the day. And, uh, but then through, through school and, and, uh, you know, I took a lot of arts, uh, degree, you know, arts sort of subjects and then ended up sort of like drifting away from tech for a while until university where I got back into tech again in a big way. And, uh, actually it, there's a little bit of a story behind that. I, I was, I was a massive history buff. I love history and, uh, it was one of my favorite, my favorite subjects at school. And, uh, so when we we're doing that whole, what do you want to study at university? And, uh, I went and talked to my history teacher and I was like, so I'm really interested in history. I'd love to get a, a degree in history. Like what sort of, what sort of career does that lead to? And he said, well, you could be a history teacher. <laughs> and I was like, nah, I want to aim a little higher. <laughs> so Indiana Jones. I thought, what, what, what's, uh, what's an emerging industry? What's growing computers? I'm going to go study computers. So I literally just did a, a last minute switch into comp sci in my last year. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that sort of set me on a path where I went to uni, I actually didn't finish uni. I dropped out of uni and uh went off and worked in a whole bunch of different places ending up in the it industry working in support doing a lot of working my way up up the up the chain there working my way up through the ranks uh and and worked for a company called Geni, which was quite a large it provider at the time in, in new zealand and it, it was when i was working there that my um, partner at the time who wanted to study advertising was looking at this this place called access ad school um, in in auckland saw that they had an advertisement for a game design course or a game development course and said, hey, I reckon Philly into this and sent me an email and said, hey, check this out. And I looked at it and I read it and I was like, oh my God, you can do this in New Zealand. <laughs> like, this is a thing. Uh, and I realized that that's what I wanted to do. So I, this is my mid twenties by the stage. I wrote my application to the course. It was a post grad course and I didn't have a degree. So I just wrote a very uh eloquent <laughs> application letter and uh, just aimed to get an interview because i thought if i can get an interview i can convince them to let me in and uh to give myself the, the pressure to to actually do it and not have a plan b i quit my job i wrote my resignation and sent that same day so that was it i was all in and uh, that's how i sort of switched into games 
and uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster since then. <laughs> I uh, graduated from that course in 2005. Uh, with a, met a whole bunch of really fascinating people. That that first group of that first cohort of us who went through that course, we're all still friends to this day. And uh, that became, you know, that's uh, that's that's been a fantastic network for me to to tap into, and 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 it's always great to see how where everyone ended up and what they've all done with their careers. But one of the, the great connections we made there was one of the tutors he used to work for EA, was an executive there, got headhunted by uh, Midway. Midway bought Ratbag in Adelaide, and then he asked me to apply for a job. So I ended up being relocated over as a junior from Auckland to Adelaide. Yeah, and uh, that was an interesting experience. The, uh, I wouldn't say culture shock, <laughs> but it was, it was a temperature shock, I can tell you that. It was very hot when I, when I got here. But yeah, and, and landing here in Adelaide, trying to figure out how, this is the first time I'd ever left the country. You know, I only got a passport when I, when I left to come here and uh, didn't know anybody. I only knew one person, the guy who got me the job. And then within two months of being here, they closed the studio. And now that person <laughs> oh, who got me the job was giving me my severance package. <laughs> so, oh, no. yeah. so welcome to games. That was, that was interesting. The real yeah. roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically everyone we've ever spoken to has said the exact same. Like they've never... They never went, ah, oh, from, you know, an early age, I wanted to do games and I just did games. It was always such a lateral move. Um, and it's kind of synonymous with the, uh, with the, with what the career becomes. It's, it's, it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk take and, you know, can't be very risk averse, especially if you're leaving country to do it. Yeah. I, I, I sort of have perhaps a, uh, a large appetite for risk. <laughs> Maybe I think, I mean, anyone who starts a game company has got to be slightly uh, risk taking, yeah. but, uh, no, the, the way I sort of looked at it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware of the advantages that I have, the privileges that I've had. I, I've been pretty lucky to know that as bad as it gets, I'll always have the support of my family. So I can, I can always go home, right. I can always go back and I know that my mum or my dad uh, would, would look after me and I'd have a place to be. So I never felt that, I could fall too far. So I, I kind of thought, well, that's, that's an advantage I have and I need to respect that and, and use that to push myself further and, and to go further. And, you know, more recently with Mighty Kingdom to use that to lift up other people who may not have had that chance, right. And, and to give them a, give them a start as well. So, you know, it's, I, I was, yeah, it does, it does seem risky through one lens, but through another, it's like, you know, the worst that could have happened to me was I go back to New Zealand and I get another job and then I'd be off my way again. Right. And thought, Gee, that was an interesting summer in, in, in Adelaide. But, you know, as, as fate would have it, things sort of went a different, took a different turn. And, and yeah, here I am today. It's good though because, yeah, because like, you're remembering it and you're like, oh, you know, it wasn't too much of a risk because, as you said, you got your family to fall back on. But even for me, I'd be like, oh, my God, like, I, I wouldn't have left New Zealand if, if you if I were you and like I would have been I mean it's a beautiful country I understand why you <laughs> and you got Sam Neill and oh. <laughs> but um actually something worth covering now because eventually we're going to you know Mighty Kingdom but yeah uh, you brought up that um you know fostering um basically talent within Mighty Kingdom that wouldn't otherwise be represented or something like that um and kind of a deep thing is the the graduate program that um, mm. Mighty Kingdom runs, which I think is synonymous and, you know, with Mighty Kingdom because it's a it's a very, uh, like, altruistic sort of model. Like, you know, you don't charge the student. You're, you're teaching the student and, you know, you're hopefully getting them a job by the end of it. Um, do you, like, what was the thought behind that? Like, um, was that 
that thought, same thought going into it, the fostering, you know, underrepresented voices or um, people who wouldn't normally not be able to get through the same route? Yeah, it, it was sort of a combination of a, of a, of a few different things, right? And, and some of it were, were just observations that I was having about the industry and, and things that I saw that could be fixed that I felt that we were in position to. One, one of them being that, you know, when I, when I moved here in 2005, there was a really large industry to move into. There was a lot of studios doing a lot of things at different scales. And you could quite happily have an entire career within Australia, you know, working from your small studios, your startups through to your, your AAAs and, and beyond. But uh, when I started Mighty Kingdom or, you know, a few years into Mighty Kingdom, that, that didn't exist anymore, right? The GFC sort of took all that away. And so now someone's starting the industry, where did they go? What do they do? And they didn't really have those, those same opportunities. And so I thought there's a, this is something that I can do. There's something that Mighty Kingdom do. We can build that, that pathway again, and we can start creating those bridges and getting people into, into industry. And, you know, the, the other thing we were looking at is you know, we, we have a vision at Mighty Kingdom of having our studio reflect the diversity of the culture that we're in, right? Like if you think about uh, Australia and you think about how diverse and multicultural it is, mm-hmm. why do our studios not look that way? Why do our studios all look, you know, to be blunt, why do they all look like me instead of looking like, you know, what we see when we... When we walk down the street, right? Yeah, I was say they look like this podcast. Look like us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, this is a podcast, no, no video. But, <laughs> uh, um, but no, like you, you know, um, you, you know what I'm saying. And and, and it's, it's one thing to to recognise a problem; it's another thing to actually do something to to change it. And and so, what I wanted to, what what I'd noticed is that when we put our junior positions, we've got quite a diverse group of people coming through. But when you put up sort of mids and seniors, you know, I've often said that. If you're looking for someone with five years experience, you're hiring from the industry five years ago. Like it's someone who started in an industry that's not the same as it is today. And so, the further back you go, the less diverse it becomes, even you know more than it is today. And so I thought, okay, we, if we want to find mid and senior level talent, we could sit around going, oh, geez, or shucks, you know, I wish there was more. Or we could just start investing in people and growing them, and know that, you know, if we start today, then in five years' time, we're going to have a person with five years' experience you know, who's gone through this program and, and it started in this industry. And, you know, like the, the, the initial goal there was really to have those people come in and work for a year at Mighty Kingdom and essentially get that on their CV that they could then take anywhere else and, 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 and you know, get them into industry. The, uh, the reality was, though, that they're all brilliant. <laughs> and so we ended up hiring them all because uh, it was, you know, they, they'd, they'd come up inside the Mighty Kingdom culture. They knew us very well. We knew them very well. And uh, we thought, you know what? Let's not let them go. Let's keep them here. So it has become a bit of a pathway into Mighty Kingdom for for people. But that's you know that was a happy accident for us, and probably a reflection of the fact that there's just more people graduating than there are positions available in this industry at the moment, right? And so um, we we are getting the, the 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 cream of the crop, I guess. You know, the best of the best. But that, the standard of applications every year just blows me away. My um my finance guy was actually the the, the person who um, proposed it, Michael. He talked about how graduate programs work in um, like accounting, and I was like, "That sounds interesting." And so he was sort of instrumental in uh, sort of putting together the framework for it, and, uh, and and helping sort of articulate how we can, you know, put a put a dollar value on it, make sure that we're actually paying people a, a, a decent wage for that for that year. Uh, that makes it attractive, so that we actually do you know attract that talent. And probably the final part was always one of our mantras at Mighty Kingdom. You know, we always. You often hear people give the advice, don't don't be a jerk. You know, that's pretty standard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and listen, 
that's a good it's good advice but it's also you know yeah. I, I come to think of that as being like the the the, the lowest bar to clear so what what's yeah yeah like you know not being a jerk is really you should trip over that <laughs> one that shouldn't be too hard so uh we, we try and aim and go higher so we, we we always say you know be an example we want to be an example of what we do and and this was a way that we could be an example to the industry that you could complain about the lack of diversity in talent you can complain about the lack of senior talent you can complain about the lack of pipelines or you could just go and make one and fix those problems yourself and so we wanted to to be the change okay. and, and it shows because like yeah. even because as, as you just said you know the don't be a jerk like i've never known someone from mighty kingdom to not volunteer their time like Ella, Marty, Phoebe, Mark, like they're always at industry things or they're just even on a personal level, like looking over at the computer because I used to, you know, work out in the office in front of Mighty Kingdom and always willing to offer their time. And like you can tell that culture comes through. Yeah, and it's something that we hire for and something that we, we, we look for in people, right? And we, we do encourage people to be visible and be a part of the community because it's hard to see yourself in this industry, if everyone you look in the media, it just looks like, you know, it's the same. <laughs> I keep ragging on us. We should, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to but no, uh, you know, so we, we do encourage people at Mighty Kingdom to go out there and be visible and be seen and, and to, to talk openly and honestly about what it's like to work in the industry and, and what it can be, right? Like, and, and hold us to account, hold us to a high standard as well, and make sure that we're living up to those ideals. And you look, I get, uh, I, you know, I get a lot of people telling me all the time about how things can be better. And, and that's fantastic. Right? I, I love that sort of open, openness and frankness that we get in Mighty Kingdom. And it forces us to look at things and, and to confront problems that you just don't see yourself as just a just your average white guy, right? Middle-aged white guy. I guess I'm middle-aged now. But, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, you know, we don't shy away from the fact that we have blind spots, right, as individuals. But collectively, we can, we can cover them all off. And so by building that diverse team, we can find... We can shine light into places that wouldn't otherwise, you know, have the light shine into them, and reveal not just problems but opportunities and and ideas that you just wouldn't think of yourself. And and that's sort of the value of of the culture that we've built. Have you have you seen a huge difference from when like you first started hiring? You know, how many people actually was it when you first started Mighty Kingdom? Was it <laughs> just yourself or? Well, it went through like some really interesting phases because it kind of grew and then it kind of shrunk and then it kind of grew and it kind of shrunk. Like we, we did a lot of contracting back in those mm-hmm. early days because a lot of our projects were just contract, you know, like a single contract. And uh, but then once we sort of started to get momentum, that was probably around 2013. Uh, we really started to build. I'd say that that catalyst for what is now Mighty Kingdom uh, came. We sort of you know 2012, 13, and there was five of us there at that point. Wow. We just split off. So Happy Inspector was another another business that we started, and, and that one sort of split off from Mighty Kingdom and took a few staff with it. And, and the the amount that remained after a little bit of you know soul searching on my end to figure out what it is I wanted to do with my life, and 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 uh, made the crazy decision to become a game developer. You know, we, there were you know, four of us here in Adelaide. One of them, uh, Carl, who's he's been there since day one. He was either in Japan or in New Zealand at that stage. He, he seemed to bounce around the world, but. Uh, yeah, so that, those all of those people are still with us today. Yeah, that's well, some of them are coming good. up to to ten years, yeah. which is an incredibly long time to spend in one place. But yeah. you know, we, we we like to we like to think about people's careers, not yeah. just you know how yeah. they can add value to Mighty Kingdom uh, and the product we make, but like how they can develop a career with us and what they could be doing in you know one, three, five, ten years time. Mm. So it's exciting to see that actually play out and have people who've been there that long. And and how how do you sort of now that 
mind can sort of grown to the, the extent that it is. How do you find yourself like spending your day? You know, is it has it <laughs> has it changed? I mean, I'm I'm going to expect that it's changed a lot since when you know you first started it and you were sort of had your yeah you know had you were sort of in the trenches or you know had your had your hands dirty in that <laughs> way. <laughs> has it changed much? Yeah, I haven't written a line of code and I can't even remember how long now, but uh, I get the itch every now and then. I get the urge. <laughs> but uh, I think they're um, quite happy to keep me away from it. No, it's a, it, it, it does change, but that's a, it's, a, it's a conscious decision, right? Like in that I want Mighty Kingdom to grow up, which means that I have to keep pushing myself to be better at what I do to support that growth of Mighty Kingdom, right? Otherwise... I become a limiting factor and I don't want to be right. And, and I need to be, cogn- I need to be cognizant of the fact when I do become one and then uh, that's, that'll be the moment to step aside and let someone else run it um, and, and take it further. Hopefully I'm not there yet. Don't worry. People tell me, uh, you know, when, how I'm performing and what's, what's working and what's not, but, but you know, it, it is very, very different in those early days when, when you're quite small, it, it, like a lot of things are very easy. Communication is very easy. Everyone knows everything. You know, you're all in the same projects. You're all working on the same things. You don't have to write down a lot of stuff, which is great because I don't like documentation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, and that's really, it's a really different feeling and that's a really fun feeling as well. And that, that sort of lasts up to probably around 15, 20 people. That's when it starts to change. You really need to start formalizing a lot of your, um, your processes and, and documentation and stuff. And so I understand why a lot of people just don't want to go past that point because it does, by its very nature, just force you to, to be different. It forces you to think like a grown-up business but, you know, with us, my, my goal has always been to grow. So I've always been looking at what that next stage is and what I what we need to do to support that. And um, so I've, I've always been comfortable with my what I do day to day changing. Mm. And it's in the last year since going uh, taking the company public that has involved a lot of change <laughs> and a lot of things that I would had never thought that I would do if you'd asked me five years ago. Right? Like it's just we had a, a first annual general meeting last week. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. So yeah, it's. It is. It doesn't involve yeah. a lot of change. I, I do a lot of meetings, a lot of talking, a lot of strategy. Uh, you know, so many phone calls. Like, and I'm not a big phone guy, <laughs> but uh, I have to make a lot of phone calls. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fun. It's a different kind of fun, and you need to keep making sure that what you're doing is fun and you're still enjoying it, right? Yeah. And the moment you, you don't, try and figure out what it is that you don't enjoy, and either get someone else to do it. <laughs> That's called it's called delegation. Yeah. It's what all good leaders do, or um, you know. Or if you, if you realize that you're out of your depth, surround yourself with people who can yeah. <laughs> you know, support you and, and, and guide you and uh, and take the time to figure out whether whether it's something you want to commit to. Because it, it it's, it's a challenge, man. It's, you know, each day throws up new and interesting problems and you have to you have to ask yourself every year, are these the sort of things I want to do with my life? This is mm-hmm. the problems I want to solve every day. Uh, and just be honest and yeah, and, have to take ownership of, that, of, that, of sure. those decisions, right? Because so often they just sort of happen (laughs) life happens around you and and suddenly you're doing something you think how did i get here but yeah so just don't be afraid to yeah take stock and take ownership of it and and what was that sort of motivation for you and you you sort of mentioned people just being comfortable with you know 20 20 people in a company or 20 people in an indie team what was the sort of motivation for you to push it and 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 get to the point of you know actually going public yeah so for me, early on when we made the switch to be really purely just a games developer, we did a lot of apps and other stuff at the early stage of the Mighty Kingdom. I looked around the industry at that point and saw that there were a lot of studios that were sort of in that, you know, that sort of 15 or 20 sweet spot, but no one had really gone beyond it. And 
it made me think there's got to be an opportunity here, right? Like, where do all the people who want to go to the, the bigger company, where do they go? They must just leave the industry or they must go overseas. Mm. So if we can create a company that is growing, then that'll be in a, a magnet for talent. People want to work at that sort of place, right? And, and if we keep sort of upgrading the problems, you know, like keep moving up the, the value chain into the types of things that we do and the, the types of games that we make, then we'll just keep attracting more and more people. And the other part of that thesis was, you know, we knew that people were looking towards Australia as a, as a place to invest in and to grow uh, in terms of their um, development footprint. And there was no one, like, when they looked across that landscape, who were who they going to spot, right? And, and if there's a whole bunch of studios that are 15 or 20 people mm-hmm. and there's one that's like 50, then they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go talk to those guys and see what they're doing. And, and, th- and that certainly bore out. Like, we've got a lot of inbound attention just from just from the, the visible successes we had, the scale that we, that we were building, right? And, and so that, those are sort of the early catalysts for it. And it was, so it was always about you know, pushing to that next stage of growth to unlock that next opportunity. Because there's a real sort of stepping stone in terms of the sort of scale of project that you work on. You know, you, uh, I'm going to talk about num- like num- like big numbers get really silly after a while when you work in this industry for a bit. But, mm. you know, the, um, you know, when we started out, our projects were probably in that fifty to $100,000 range, right? And that's fine for two guys in a garage, but it's, it doesn't seem to be a big, a big, a big studio. And so you, you need to keep pushing up, right? Then you start getting to the, the 200,000s, the 500,000s, the 750s, the millions, the 2 million, the 3 million, you know, the, you've got to keep pushing up those project sizes. And those numbers sound big and they, and they are big, but they also, when you divide them by the number of people and the amount of time you have, it starts to disappear very quick, right? And, and uh, so you need to keep making sure that you're, uh, you know, doing all the right things in terms of, uh, uh, you know, in, investing in the right areas and, and, and doing all the smart things to make sure you're not over-investing in any one, one place. But for us, you know, we always wanted to like working with brands was fantastic. It teaches you so much about this industry and about about how value is created. But we wanted to make our own brands, right? We wanted to make our own games, and so to do that just requires a lot of money because you need to pay people to make the games, right? And mm. and that's the the bigger your ambitions are, the more people you have to you have to pay. And so investment for us was a way of being able to put focus into that area without being you know, our attention drawn away by our client work and. Uh, so that, you know, 2019 is the first time we actually took investment on. And then from there, it's, you're on a bit of a, I wouldn't say a railway, you know, it's not, not quite like a, a straight line, but you're, you're sort of on a pathway, which there's only a few options at the other end, right? And, and one of those is being acquired, and that wasn't something we were very interested in. And the other one is um, to go public. And, and for us, that was the one that gave us uh, the best uh, control of our, of our own destiny, right? It gave us, the, it gave us the capital to be able to do the cool things mm-hmm. we want to do. And there'll be some more stuff to talk about that in the new year. But uh but it also, um, yeah, it didn't it, it, it meant that we were still masters of our own destiny to a degree. Mm. And even in that growth phase, what what was it kind of like? Was it difficult? I mean, it definitely would have been difficult. But to have those, <laughs> um, the, to make those decisions as to like where to invest your time and effort, you know, like how what was sort of the process? Or did you, yeah, like even when you were, you know, from a ten person company, like how was it that you like? yeah where did you invest in was it like you need to get more programming you need to get this or did, did that depend on like the project and the work that you were doing yeah it was sort of driven by by the projects but i, I will point, point out one other thing here as well though which is that there's a little bit of survivor bias in this right we, we got through we did a lot of really silly things <laughs> you know we, <laughs> we we doubled down on some things that worked but we doubled down on some things that didn't work like but we were lucky enough to keep finding opportunity that took us to that next stage and that next level and so what what we're dealing with now is we came out the other side now. We're, we're in a position now where we can, you know, it, as a public company and, and, and the access that that brings, we could do this for a 
as long as we, we feel like, which is a very privileged place to be in. But any one of those things could have gone wrong along the way and it could have been catastrophic and it could have been mm. the end, right? And there are plenty of stories of businesses that went all in on an idea and then it turned out to be nothing. So I always caution people. I've had a few people ask me saying, you know, uh, tell me how you did this. I'd love to learn it because I want to know if I can do it. And you just, I'm like, dude, you don't want to do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to make the mistakes and, yeah. and, and learn from it. So what, yeah. what, I, what, I'd, what I'd sort of suggest is just be aware of the scale of the risks that you're taking and look at yeah. what, the, what the downside is. This is an industry where the upside for us is astronomical, right? Like it just, it's almost boundless, so the, the, the scale of success we've seen. Uh, but on the flip side, you've know, you got to make sure you're protecting on the, on the downside as well. And uh, having those triggers in there, which is, you know, this is like an old change management 101, like you know, what, what, are we, what, are we, what are we doing? How you know what does success look like? What does failure look like? How are we gonna? How do we know which path we're on? Um, how soon, you know, will, can we figure that out? And what will we do if we are like you know? How do we know if it's not working? What do we, what do we change if it's not? And just have have those sort of framework in your mind so that you're not surprised, right? Like you, one thing I always found is that you've probably got you've always got more time to make a decision than you think, right? You, there's a lot of time people try to will feel pressure or feel that, uh, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, people will be shouting at you, things will be on fire and everyone will be running around and but you just got to take a moment and go, okay, what do I know? Um, you know, what are my options? What, what's the step I'm going to take? What do I expect to happen? Okay, let's do it. Let's see if that happens. Okay, it did. Then let's continue. If it doesn't, okay, let's try something else. And just take the time to, to make a, make a smart play. Uh, and that often avoids an even bigger problem, you know, down the line. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, to start off with, contract work and then move to, you know, creating, uh, you know, your own titles, original IP. That's like, that's the business equivalent of doing the U-turn in the yeah. evergreen <laughs> cargo ship in that canal. Like it's something that, you know, many <laughs> studios, they just can't do like, um, because, you know, they do, they start the contract work and then they have to bring on the team and then they're always chasing their bottom line and they can't afford to, you know, um, work on something original or work on what the reason why they started the studio, you know, cause that, that contract work gets so enticing at the start. And then that's just what they did 20 years later. They're still mm. was, I'm, I'm guessing there was a, a, a hard U-turn when, when that started happening. Oh, we, 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 we're still in the middle of the U-turn. I imagine. <laughs> it, 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 it's funny, right? Because the, um, there's a predictability to contract work, right? That, you know, that if I just do this and I'll get that, that invoice paid and, and that can be really simple and easy to understand and the difficulty there is it just doesn't scale very well right like it, it's hard to grow a really big business doing that unless you're you know you're in a jurisdiction where your where your where your costs are really low and your margins are really high right but that's in Australia that's not really the case it, it may change with the with this rebate coming through but you know it's it's quite expensive to make games in Australia that's just the, the reality of it uh, you know for us. You know, we we always made sure to compete on quality, not 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 cost. Right, that's that's just another piece of advice. Make sure that you're the best player in the market rather than the cheapest. But um, yeah, there's it, it, it's a tough one, right? Because when your clients get angry, everyone's attention goes over there to to, to put out that fire, and that's part of the reason why we raise capital to allow us to make a sort of consistent investment into original IP over over a period of time. Um, so we for us, that was all about the technology and capability that, that will underpin our products and that, that for us that's in that in the narrative space particularly and uh but you know, you know covid was another interesting year that sort of throws all your plans out the window and, and it puts yeah. you in survival mode 
so we're, we're still on that journey right we're still we're still to come to market with a couple of things we've been building but uh they're looking really good and <laughs> they're looking really yeah. exciting and but then, and then it becomes uh opportunity cost right once you can prove that your original products can stand up and on their own two feet and generate revenue then there's a there's a big shift i i, I can tell you that for us before we listed um people loved to see like the brands, right? They love Lego, they love Disney, they love Spin Master, they love Sony. And uh, and that sort of continued after for a little while. And then uh, Playside put out Age of Darkness, right? Which is their original product. And everyone was like, oh my God, like this is way better than working with Disney. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, like you get to own all of it. Like you don't have to give it, give it all away. And uh, so the, the conversation shifted really rapidly, right? And now we're being asked, do you have enough people investing in original games? Like do you have enough in production? And that's, that's really mm-hmm. a fascinating shift, right? And and so you're seeing, and we, we've always felt that that's where value is created in this industry, right? Is, is building and, and, and uh, developing your own products. We've got pretty big ambitions for what we want that to be, um, which requires a certain amount of investment, right? Which is part of the reason why we went down the path we did. But uh, it, it has to earn its seat at the table at the same time, right? Like if we've got a, a like a really interesting offer from a large you know partner sitting in front of us that allows us to develop our technology and our capability and, and brings in a bunch of revenue. We have to put that up against our own internal project and go, mm-hmm. okay, does this knock this off the, off the spot, right? Like we need to hold ourselves to the same high standard and mm-hmm. uh, it, which can be good because it, it forces the, the teams to be more ambitious and think bigger and, and, and push further. Um, but it can also be challenging, right? Cause it's so alluring <laughs> just, to, yeah. just, to, just to say yes to that thing and know that, that you've got that revenue locked away for a long time. But uh, that, that comes down to your, your long-term strategic thinking uh, and your goals of the studio, um, making sure that you, uh, I like to do this thing at every board meeting of just repeating those long-term goals, right? So everyone remembers what we're trying to do. So you, there's all this noise that happens day to day, but where are we heading? Mm. And are all our actions moving in that direction, like cumulatively, or are we just sort of running around, right? Like mm. you've got to make sure you have a, a, a vision and a direction that you're heading towards. And is that like aspirational goals or that's like clear, you know, like, is it, does it, does the bar just get higher and higher? Like, is that? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a, uh, I mean, we, we've got some pretty lofty ambitions, but uh, the, you, you do break it down into, into short, medium and long term, right? Like you got to, yep. I think it's, that's the, the, the term for it is the three horizons model where you want to, want to, want to dig into that stuff. But it's about looking in the, across those different horizons mm-hmm. and understanding what investments you're making today and where they're going to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, it is, uh, yeah, it's an industry that there's no lack of opportunity in, right? Yeah. Like there's so many cool things uh, that are happening that it's hard to to sort them yeah. sort them out. But, you know, sometimes has there has there had to be like a culture shift within the company as well? You know, going from uh, making titles for other people versus making your own titles, or is that sort of is it just more of like a high level st- strategy thing? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the the act of making the game is very similar. Like yep. code is code, art is art. You know, the, the pipelines are the same. But it it is a bit different when you don't have an external pressure. Like so often, when you're working on client work, it's easy to externalize the bad guy, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, sorry, it's not me, man. You know, it's just the guy out there. I'm just the delivery guy. But when it's when it's just in, when it's all internal, there's no one to hide from, right? It's like, no, it's, I'm telling you to do this. Yeah. I know it sucks, but but this is me. And so, you know, shifting that mindset does require a bit of a, a shift in thinking. But look, the people we have at Viking, they're very smart. They they know what we're trying to achieve, and they're and they're doing the best they can. And the, we know you talked before about the sort of qualities that we look for um, 
and you know and people this is an industry that you have to be very comfortable with change because mm-hmm. <laughs> things things change so quickly right and uh you know we, i've been very blessed with the people we have at mighty kingdom who you know I'll, I'll have a team meeting and i'll announce a thing and you know everyone gets really hyped about it it's like a new client we're talking to and the next team meeting now nah, that's been cancelled <laughs> or something else you know and you know everyone's like oh my god that was my favorite you know cartoon and, you know when i was a kid and then the next week it's like no we're not doing it anymore we're doing something uh. else. it's like oh okay <laughs> like you ride the waves right you got to go on the on the on the journey but uh yeah so that's that's one thing to get used to is just how quickly the the, the sand you know the ground can shift under your feet mm-hmm. but um but yeah like so that that is a different um sort of cultural change and, and something that we you know, need to get better at like it's it's sometimes easy to understand the value proposition like if disney comes to you with star wars and says hey guys we want you to uh, you know, make us a third person action game um based around boba fett you'd be like okay i know what i can you know like, i can do that yeah. like that's awesome because it's, it's all such everything's known right in that space but if you go to someone and you go i want you to make an original game like a wholly original and you go okay why why what are my boundaries no boundaries just, you know, just figure it out it's like it's, that's, that's overwhelming right? yeah. like where do you start and uh so it is quite a different problem to solve, but we, we try and you know, guide it by setting some strategic goals for the business, making sure these are the sorts of games we want to make, these are the sort of audiences we want to play in. Here's all the things we know, like from our history and all the, the stuff that we've done. This is something, these are the things that we know really, really well. Here's where we think you can find interesting things to, to, to do, but just, you know, come, come mm-hmm. put them together in an interesting way and come up to us and, 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 and pitch them to us. So that, like, and as I say, this is like a, one of the things we always try and do is look for ways to constantly improve, right? And, and so this is an area where we're always looking for ways to be smarter and, and to be better at surfacing these really good ideas and, and giving them the space they need to develop and then picking the best ones to go for. Because um, uh, 2020, I think it was, when you gave a talk at GCAP. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going in the vault. Um, no, no, I was watching that one live and it's it's – it stuck with me something that you you said that you stressed the importance of um uh you mentioned before you know like the rebate um how an important factor of that is it will hopefully entice larger companies to set up shop in you know south australia and that will just help just through a runoff effect but you did stress the importance of original ip mm. which you've you know been talking about um now i was wondering yeah like can you kind of go into like the importance of original ip on a like on a state level, on a South Australia getting recognised kind of level, like what 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 importance did you see in original IP that like you brought up in the talk that said you know um, we can't forget about these ones, we need these ones to flourish. Yeah, and and I think that was in the context of the the changing landscape of the rebate coming in, and and that will entice a lot of overseas companies to invest in the space, and and a, a lot of it. And if you see my talks over the years, sort of reflect on my time coming into the industry and seeing how it sort of got destabilized by the GSC. Mm. And it, it was really due to the fact that a lot of businesses were like, owned by overseas companies, essentially, right? They were um, studio, you know, like external studios for, for these really large, uh, large companies. And so when the GSC hit and everyone was sort of looking to cut costs, it's very easy to cut the one that's miles away in another country that, that you know, speaks the same language but with a funny accent and so they they you know they they just all close one by one by one and one of the things i saw at chrome was that they they had started to understand the importance of original ip but it came that, that shift came internally a bit too late and so they weren't able to continue the studio at the scale that it was um just on the back of, of their original product and so you know 
I wanted I want to make sure that as this industry sort of goes through another phase of growth and it's and it's going to like we're getting so much interest now uh, and so much like inbound interest from people looking to invest in Australia that um, we're doing those right things so that when there is the inevitable contraction in the future that there are companies that are based in Australia that will stay in Australia and that there's significant IP that is wholly owned by Australian companies so it can't just be picked up and airlifted out somewhere else right and that builds resilience into the industry in a way that didn't exist back in 2008 2009 I think we're getting much better at it and you, you look at you look at what uh, Team Cherry have managed to achieve with Hollow Knight and the and the, the brand that they built around it not just that a brilliant game but just like this brilliant world and characters and and you know that that's not going anywhere <laughs> like no one's mm-hmm. okay you know they're not gonna they're not gonna give that give that away but that's we need more things like that right we need more of those big visible successes at, at all levels and, and a whole bunch of different genres and a whole bunch of different things right we need companies in the state that aren't just you know mighty kingdom at 140 odd and then what's the xbox you know 25 30 you know we, mm-hmm. we need companies at all scale at, at, at every different point right so people can uh, can plug in at, at, at every different level but yeah but fundamentally we need to be telling our own stories right not just not just telling other people's stories and i, I think that's what i'm from new zealand obviously <laughs> as we've mentioned but uh similar thing in new zealand right and i don't know if that's the same same word that you use for it here in australia but we used to talk about the cultural cringe right where people would be shy to say they're from new zealand because they felt like they had to be apologetic <laughs> for how like kiwi we are right and i saw over my my uh you know as i was growing up in, in new zealand that started to shift right we started to become much more proud of that heritage that we have and uh, um you know and, and things like the haka which is just like so iconic right and, and and that sort of became so synonymous with new zealand and, and i look around australia and think you have the same opportunities that we had right you have this this incredible culture the world's oldest you know longest continuing culture like n- no one else can lay claim to that and there's a lot of really interesting stories that I think Australians can tell about, not just you know about the, the indigenous life here, but just life in Australia. It's such a weird country <laughs> in so many ways. It's full of weird animals. I can tell you that. Coming uh, from a place of you know the the only thing that you have to be worried about in the bush is like a particularly aggressive parrot, whereas you know, and, over and here hobbits. The odd hobbit. Yeah, if, uh, they're all they're off on their way to Iceland anyway, so they'll be. <laughs> That's where they're taking them, but uh, yeah. So the um, <laughs> but so it is. It is a real interesting country, and it's full of a lot of contradictions, right? And 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 it's. I think I think it's fascinating, and it and and you look at the world in a very particular way, and I don't think Australians really realise how different that they are and how unique they are, and that there is value in those stories and there's value in those experiences, and and bringing that to a global audience who for the first time you know, in for a very long time is out there looking for stories, They're looking for, for things that are different than what they've seen elsewhere. Right? You look at some of the, the, the top, you know, the, the top show on Netflix is a Korean show, right? Like that's, mm, mm. and the other top one was a video game, you know, so video game. So like these are, people are out there looking for stories and, and looking for something unique, something that they haven't seen before. And those, the access to those audiences and those niches are just bigger, you know, it's easier than ever before. So. I'd encourage people to embrace their Australianness, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's just hard for me to say as a Kiwi. I know, but, uh, but you know, just don't mention the cricket. And uh, but, but to sort of, yeah, don't be afraid to tell stories that are authentic uh, about you and about your experience in this country and and what that means, and and all and like all the contradictions that that, that exist in Australian life. Like just embrace it and tell it, 
And I think you'll find that there's an audience out there who wants to, who wants to, to hear those stories and will respond to it. And for me, it's not just about making the next League of Legends, but making, uh, I can't think of an Australian <laughs> version of League of Legends. You guys don't have to help me out here. But, uh, but you know what I mean? I like think, think of something like that has a real Australian wildlife League of Legends or something. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, like Blinky the, Bill, Blinky like Bill, everyone, yeah. I, like the, the crocodile hunter, yeah. right? He was a guy who uh, everyone I know from Australia was like, "Oh God, that guy!" But he was like, <laughs> bro, he was so much yeah, fun. He was. Yeah, <laughs> like he just didn't take himself seriously, and I think that is something that you know they can get a bit lost, right? You, you want to, uh, yeah. I think that's a real strong part of Australian culture is just that Americanism that. Uh, you know, she'll be yeah. right. <laughs> just all, yeah. all that, all that sort of like, I'm going to jump on the back of a yeah. crocodile and, and like, why not? Like, good on you, mate. Like, it's it's crazy and fun. And I think that's why he was as popular as he was, right? Because only in Australia yeah. <laughs> would yeah. you get that. Yeah, absolutely. There's something to be said about that. Like the, um, the level of creativity in a place like Australia and whether it's uh, like, how would you say, like fueled by like... Um, like the freedom and not, not freedom in a sense of like, you know, freedom of speech, freedom to do this. That freedom is in like, you know, we have like some of the happiest citizens because the amount of holidays we have or like the, um, uh, what do you, not insincereness, but you know, that you can talk to the manager or the boss in the same tone. You can kind of talk to the, like, uh, someone else in the, in the organization, the, um, I can't think of the word right now, but that kind of freedom kind of seems to facilitate a level of creativity. Yeah, and, and for sure, I think you don't understand how unusual that is until you go elsewhere and, and either work elsewhere or, or travel, right? And you start to, all, all those all those weird things about your your own home culture start to become really evident and you come back and you're like, you've got those fresh eyes on them. But yeah, like, I think you're right. Like, it's it's a, it's a pretty laid back culture though. Like, mm-hmm. people are pretty chill. Like, <laughs> they, they, you know, they're, they're happy to just take their time to do things. And maybe that, maybe they just need a little bit of, bit of a, you know, I don't know. A bit of incentive, a little bit of motivation to get yeah, up and, yeah. and, and give it a go, but you know that's that you know, with, with you don't want to sort of uh, run away from what it is that made made makes Australia such a successful country, um, but at the same time, you know you obviously need to acknowledge the the, the challenges that it faces and the opportunities that, that that presents as well, right? Like I think that's uh, uh, it's not all about just um, you know koalas and or drop mm. bears and, and and whatever, right? It's, <laughs> Like it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stories to tell about Australia. That like uh, you, you just look at um, what my my kids were reading the the Dark Emu, you know, it, it sort of like looks at the a retelling of the history of Australia, and you start to think about the you know, what that frontier life would have been like. It, it was it was populated in a way that few other countries were. Right, it was a penal colony, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. become a, a nation. That's like what would that journey mm-hmm. have been like? You know, right in those early days. And yeah, it's 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 got a whole bunch of really interesting stuff that we, when I'm here, I'm I'm always wondering like, why is no one mm. talking about this? I'm like, it's fascinating, right? But everyone's like, oh no, no, we don't talk about the we don't talk about the prisons yeah. anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. Come on, just embrace it. Be, yeah, have that as part of your identity. And I, I think sometimes games can be a really good way of sort of exploring those those sort of stories and and confronting some of those things in a way that you're actually participating in it and and, and going along on it, right? So Does, yeah, yeah, look. Does that does that interest in stories that you have sort of feed into the 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 vision of or not the vision but the the push to to get into you know narrative with with Mighty Kingdom and 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 get into investing in technology that can help facilitate that? 
100%. The, when I look at this industry, I think of it as being an entertainment industry. And you think about who are the best companies, you know, when it, when it comes to consistently putting out sort of top quality entertainment, what is it that they're doing? What is it that they have? And consistently, they're, they're the best storytellers, right? They're the ones who create those worlds and characters that you want to live in, that you want to be in. Um, you know, D- Disney's like a factory for this stuff, right? They just they seem to just do it uh, with their eyes closed. You know, they they um, obviously they've got a bit of an advantage now, having bought your, your Marvels and, and your Star Wars. But yeah. you know, Star Wars is a fantastic example of a, of a you know there were a lot of sort of sci-fi epics around at the time, but it was amazing at just sort of creating this universe that you actually wanted to play in. There's a reason that we go out and buy all the, the Lego UCS you know, sets still these days, you know, mm. it created this lasting impression because it created a, a place that you could project yourself into and you could think, yeah, this is where I want to be. And then you could, it, it wasn't so narrow in its definition that there's only one story that could be told. There was there are thousands of stories that can be told in that, in that world and in that universe. Like I've, I've just got a round right here. I'm just looking around. I've got like Lego paraphernalia all, all, all around. Uh, and, uh, and, and sorry, uh, like Lego Star Wars stuff in, in particular, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so that's, that, that's what I think of as when I think about how to create long-term value in this industry, how to create long-lasting value. Mm-hmm. And we're human beings, right? We're storytellers. We love to tell stories. That's, that's, that's our nature. And, uh, and through games, there's a way of telling stories that is so unique and so different than any other form of storytelling. You know, almost every other form has got a... A, a strict set of rules that you have to follow. You sit down in a chair and you watch a thing or you, or you read a book and, and it's a story that someone's telling you that they're controlling every aspect of it, right? They, they, they tell you where to point the camera. You know, they, they control what the actors say, what they do, and, and they, write, they control the words on the page. In, in games, it's just completely, completely different, right? You've got this, this agency in a story that you just don't have anywhere else. And for me, that, that creates like um, some fascinating opportunities. And, and I think about... Uh, you know the some of the the games that I've played and the stories that they've told have resonated with me and stuck with me and I think about them right? they're, they're they're just as uh, you know they stick with me just as much as films or books or anything else does right and and perhaps even in more ways because I was there I chose that you know I made that decision I I, I pushed the character down that path and I knew what the other option was and I, and I chose this one and that's that's something that's that's so fascinating and unique so yeah like storytelling world building characters narrative that that's a huge area of investment and focus for us mm. and you know that it doesn't mean you don't have to make a good game you still have to make fun games people play you know they, they want to enjoy but if you get that world right it just opens up so many more opportunities so you think about again that i always talk about which is mass effect and you think about what that spawned and, and all the, the you know not just merchandise but just the world that it created and all the other stories that it facilitated and the way people were able to project themselves into that and, and have choices that had consequence. And like, that was, that was super cool. Right. And, and I think that uh, it just shows when you get this right in the space that, that uh, what success can look like and what, um, yeah, like that's, that's where I want to play. Right. I want to be telling big grand mm-hmm. stories that, that stick with you and stay with you and, and, and get you to think about the world differently and, and give you characters that you love and characters that you hate and, and choices that you find really hard and, and difficult and, and but rewarding and yeah man that's that's why i'm here not to not to just try and make a quick yeah. buck right there's a lot of ways to make quick money in games and not one of them yeah but you know, <laughs> but, you know I'm, I'm here to, to to tell stories and to entertain people and to do that on a grander and grander stage right and and 
that means that we have to get better and better at it and and uh, and yeah that's and that's where, where i can help the business at the moment these days is to do all those things that provide the space for people to to create those stories and tell because they take time right? it takes time to get that mm-hmm. stuff right and, and to refine it so i um you know I'm, I, I'm the public face that goes out and, and does all the hard work and talks to investors and talks to all the different stakeholders and makes sure that we've got all that stuff in, in place so that our, our creators and our writers and our, and our designers and our programmers and everyone can 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 be as creative as they can possibly be and you you, you said like you mentioned star wars mass effect what other inspirations <laughs> would you say have shaped you and that maybe yeah shaped sort of the vision that you're that you're going down it's funny right because when we think about story and games we think of it very narrowly as being this sort of you know do a thing and then get a cutscene, make a choice go and do another thing but but story is expressed in so many different ways right it's the the the, the beauty of star wars is that you know when he walks into that cantina and you see all those creatures you feel like they all have a story that they have a purpose and there's a reason that they were all there right like and you could think any one of these could be an interesting story that I could follow. And uh, so I think that you know, sometimes it's not just the, the stuff that you see on the screen. It's all the things that are around it and that, and that support it, right? That's, uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's how I, I view story um, in this space. I've talked myself into a point where I've forgotten what your question even was. <laughs> Inspirations, like Star Wars. Uh, Inspirations, yeah. Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I was, I was thinking about like who, who's out there creating these these spaces that I want to play in, right? That that, that I want to want to be in. Um, on the game side, like uh, one of the first ones that really showed me what narrative could be was uh, Grim Fandango. I was, mm. I was talking to this, this mm, classic on on player two. Like uh, it was one of the first games where I got to the end of it, and when you get on the train and you're getting on the train and Glottis is not getting on the train, you realize, oh shit. He's not coming, yeah. and then like, oh man, this, even just thinking about it now gets me gets me all very fired up because that that was that was emotional, man, and and it's like I'd never seen that in a game before. I couldn't, you wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have believed that was possible. But that showed me like shit. You can you can really get, you can really tell deep and engaging stories. You can create characters here that stick with people for life, right? And that's that was one of the the, the first the first big ones. But I'm a real I'm a real omnivore when it comes to to games, but also just media in general. I, I watch and listen to so many different things. I play a whole bunch of different types of games because mm-hmm. you, you can get great ideas from anywhere. If you, I remember like, say, you know, way back in the day playing Madden on the on the Mega Drive. Uh, it was very much just, you know, choose your players, run your characters, throw the ball. And then uh, at the same time, I was playing all these, you know, role-playing games, playing D&D with my friends. And now when I play like a, like a Madden or, or a sports game, they're basically RPGs now. Like they've, got, <laughs> yeah, they've, got, they they've got stats. Storyline. Like, yeah. Yeah, everything, you know, everything just steals from everything else. And so they'll pinch in all the best bits from role-playing games and all the storytelling. You know, now you've got this whole be a, be a pro and all these sort of modes that you go down. Manager mode, yeah. Everything. Yeah. So they're, they're all just cribbing from each other, right? So I think you need to be playing lots of different things because you'll find brilliant ideas in games that you would not even think about yeah. and, and I'll stick with you. You know, so... I, I play lots of things. You know, I love like uh, a lot of racing games. Uh, I play a few first-person shooters, although I, 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 I kind of suck at them nowadays, so I have to play them on easy <laughs> just so I can just so I can get by. But you know, I play Fortnite with the kids, play Minecraft. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just, I just I try and get a bit of everything. everything I try and get yeah. a very a very diet yeah, when it comes yeah. to in, entertainment. So yeah, you draw your inspiration from a lot of different places. But always, um, I'm a big fan of like classic movies as well. And there was, uh, you know, 
back in the early days of film when it was really expensive, right? And, and they uh, had to be really economical. They, they used to be, uh, you know, they're so succinct in their storytelling because they couldn't have digital film. You just shoot for reams and reams and reams, right? And I used to love that efficiency in their storytelling, how they got character and, 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 and plot across in just such a few little sentences, right? And uh, so I, I love looking at that stuff about how you can distill things down even further and get to that core essence and, and still like, how can you what can you strip away and still have a compelling experience? Like how much of it is just noise? Uh, how much of it is actually core? Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, when you uh, when you mentioned the Star Wars cantina before, it made me in my head go on a tangent. Um, something I <laughs> uh, want to know your answer to with this because Star Wars did something like interesting, which is resulted in basically splitting off into two timelines. Let's oh, yeah. say you got Legends now, where Disney just went, "No, nah, this is a mess. Like this didn't happen." And then, like, I imagine. Imagine, uh, I'm imagining you went through something I did where you're like, I read all those books yeah. and all those comics and now you're <laughs> saying it's nothing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't nothing. They're, they're picking and choosing, right? And yeah. when you think about the, the expanded universe, it was it was a real grab bag, right? It was a little bit of everything. And some of it was great and some of it was not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what made me go think about it was when you mentioned the cantina. Yeah. There's that whole side story that they developed that um, – that Greedo, when he got shot and his body's smoking and the, the cantina guy is like, mm, that smells good and turns him into a drink and oh. gives it, I think, the Jabba or something like that. What? Like something that Disney just would not do. But you could just imagine them going through all these reams of story and just being like, I can't use this. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, if I take that scene, then I have to take the rest of this. And that, oh. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is pretty funny. Because they just like... Yeah. They just licensed it. They said anyone can just make a story to it, basically. They were throwing noodles at the wall, mate. They were just seeing whatever would stick, right? And yeah, some, <laughs> some of it was really fun. Like the Thrawn stuff was really good. And, and yeah. uh, there, there were some bits in there that they've, that they've kept and they've brought back in, in, in new ways. But yeah, there was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was you know, a time. I, I was actually around my, my uni days when I got into that. And uh, I remember sitting in, I had a friend who just collected all the books. And so I'd just sit there and, and uh, and read them between between lessons uh yeah it was <laughs> this is some real flashback stuff happening right now <laughs> what, yeah what was it um like but you, you worked on star wars force unleashed right back i, I did <laughs> what what was it like actually getting to work on a like for the first time working on a star wars game back you know however long ago that was now it's if you, you ever heard that phrase uh um you know, never meet your idols. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. a, it is. It, it's 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 funny, right? So we've worked on um, on 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 Lego games and Shopkins games. You know, aimed very squarely at a at a at a segment of the of the market, which I'm not, right? I'm not a I'm not a six to nine year old girl. You know, that's mm-hmm. patently obvious by now. I'd hope, to, hope. but uh, but I had probably as much fun or more fun on those than I did uh, on Star Wars. Right? Star Wars is a real weird beast because it's really big. Right, and you, and you realize that you're never going to be in a position, at least I wasn't uh, at that stage, to have any sort of meaningful impact yeah. on the direction or or, or or the story of this thing. Right, like there are so many layers that decisions have to go through. Uh, it, it, even back then, and I'm sure even more so now, with Disney and their story group, there's like a continuity team, there's like a story team, there's like a merchandising team. Everyone has to sort of sign off on this thing to make sure you're not messing up something else somewhere in the in the brand. Uh, and so it means that sometimes. The things, the spaces that you get to play and play in, is just so small um, that you kind of like, man, all of this just for that. Uh, and 
yeah and it's just it's, it's a like it was a different time let's go let's go with that like it's not the, yeah. the, as it is now working with disney um they uh they were sort of figuring some stuff out as they went as well so the it wasn't unusual for goals to shift pretty drastically through development so you could be working on something for a long period of time and then decision will be made and then that whole level's cut and so all that code and everything you wrote to support that particular thing that was happening there mm. it's all gone but um you know it's before these... before git as well or like oh no yeah no, we had what were we using we were using uh, svn for a while there yeah? uh, and oh, then well. uh, and then moved to perforce uh so oh, yeah, yeah the, we went from the one that all the artists hate the one that all the artists love but unfortunately yeah. Mm, yeah. the one that all the programmers love to the one that programmers hate so yeah it was a <laughs> Yeah, you can never please anyone in this industry, yeah. I don't think, when it comes to source control. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was. Um, I, I worked on the multiplayer implementation on the, on the PSP for for a large part of it. So I did a whole bunch of things, and that's sort of where I settled. And uh, that was really fascinating. It was the first time I'd done multiplayer uh, at that at that sort of scale. Uh, four player synchronous um, PSPs all talking together with a strange protocol that's only invented awesome. that I had to sort of pick apart to understand. Uh, to the point where actually when we were doing a sequel to it, a Sony tech rang me up and said, how did you do that? <laughs> like, it, it wasn't, it's not supposed to work that way. You managed to make it do it. I'm like, oh, anyway, but we got too many secrets, but yeah. And, and Dan mentioned that, that that wasn't, that was a PSP only, wasn't it? That, that multiplayer, the multiplayer feature. Yeah. They, they had the same, yeah. they, um, I don't know if it's still to get exists, that past uh, Lucas. Well, they had a, they had a, <laughs> yeah. they had a like a, like a, a rule or an edict that, every platform had to have a certain percentage of differentiation from the other, right? And so the lead one was, uh, in those days, Xbox 360, I'm going to say. Am mm. I in the right era? God, I don't even know where I am. Yeah, 360. That's 2008. Yeah, 360. Now it was yeah. 2000... Yeah, no, you're right. 2008, Jesus Christ. You know, you know my, my career better than I do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that that was being done by uh, by one, one team. And then there was a PS2 and... And then eventually there was a Wii version and then the PSP. And so each one had to be differentiated and it had to have a certain amount of change in it. And we were the day, we were at the end of the chain. So we were picking all the PS2 work up. So the 360 was this big, the PS2 was this big, and we were this big. It, like mm-hmm. I used my hands on a podcast, didn't I? So the, the, <laughs> the, the, the 360 and the, and the PS3 were, in the end, in terms of content, the smallest of the, of the platforms. And the, the mm-hmm. PS2 added to that, we had an extra world on the PS2. Um, that you could go to, and then on the PSP we had all the all that content, and uh, we also added multiplayer and his- historical battles where you could replay certain scenes from from the from the from the franchise. Awesome. A- and <laughs> and more like just I don't know I don't know why I mean it was just so much stuff. It was, just it throw was it all in. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was fun. It was a real interesting <laughs> kind of technical challenge. Uh, and the team, the team we had, so you know, we we drove a lot of that out of the, the team here in, in Adelaide. Uh, that was a really, uh, a really close knit team. We worked really well together. It was really, what you, you know, I was going to use the management speak. It's a real high functioning team, you know. Like, <laughs> but we all we all knew what we were good at. We all, we all knew who was doing what, and we all would sort of work collaboratively to get stuff done. It was, it was really good. Um, probably about as good as it got. They they started to pick that apart over over the years, or things just sort of changed and. and you know that was sort of circumstances outside of everyone's control in the end. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, but uh, that one on on, on Force Unleashed moved really smoothly and and was really fun. But uh, yeah, good good was, times. Was that your favourite project there? Ah, uh, no, they're all they're all kind of fun. There's there's my favouriteest one was one that never actually got released. Uh, it was a a prototype that I worked on with, with a bunch of people after 
the tail end of um, of uh, the second Star Wars game I worked on, Clone Wars, Republic Heroes, and then mm. actually I think we did a little dabble around lightsaber duels, but then we uh, yeah had and we went we went hard at, at, at an idea. They have they had this really cool thing. Actually, this is a good thing. I'm to write this one down for myself to, to talk about work tomorrow. But they had this uh, internal pitch review process where you you created a prototype for an idea. And then they would um, get everyone around the studio to play it and, and rate it and review it on different different benchmarks. And we had the highest rated one in history. Oh, crap. Wow. It was cool. Whoa. I can't tell you a single thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Keep that one to yourself. Yeah. But that was, that was fun. That was one of the, the, the fun ones because we were just, yeah, everything was a yes. You know, like oftentimes when you're working with brands and stuff, everything's a no or it's a yeah. not about this. But when we were doing that, it was like, okay, let's just do all the things we want. Like, how crazy can we go? And we went pretty crazy, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, shame, shame we'll never see it, or at least if it does come to light, it won't be me that that, that brings it. Yeah. It. And and what 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 would you say? Like, are the things that you you learnt from those experiences at Ratbag and Chrome that you have tried or tried to bring or tried to not bring onto MK? Yeah, there's there's. Uh, there's a few lessons. One of them, the most obvious one, is just looking at the demographics of the studio that, that I worked in here in, in Adelaide. It was at its peak, fifty odd people, and only ever had at any one time like a single non-dude, you know, a single woman mm-hmm. in the studio. That that's not a great. <laughs> that's yeah. not a. It's not conducive to a great, uh, you know, um, sort of inclusive and open work environment. But uh, that was, so that was one 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 thing I took away from it. But. Another thing I sort of learned was to, uh, whenever you're made redundant, and I, I must say I, I didn't get made redundant at at, uh, at Chrome. I left Chrome before it, it, all, it all closed down. But whenever studios go through that big thing, there's a lot of blame that gets thrown around, a lot of finger pointing, right? And I think as I've as I've gone through the years at Mighty Kingdom, you realise like everyone's just doing their best, right? They're doing the best that they know how to do, given what they what they you know the experience that they've had to date and what they have in front of them, and so. A lot of the things that I took away just on the business side, you know, it's easy to look in hindsight and go, well, I wouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that or they should have done this or whatever. But when I reflect on it, I, I just think, you know, those guys were doing, they're, they're doing their, they were trying hard. They were fighting to the last minute, right, to, to, to keep that going. No one goes into any situation thinking they're going to have to shut the studio down, right? That's not what anyone's end game is, right? So you, I, I learned to forgive, <laughs> essentially. Like I learned to, to forgive a lot of that stuff. And, you reach a point where you start learning your own lessons, right? You start making your own mistakes and, and learning from those. So the, the the lessons from from Ratbag and from Chrome, which were really like, I, I just took a, a few more lessons from my time in, in corporate, right? Corporate IT, just thinking a little bit more structure, a little bit more stability. Just think it be a little bit, uh, uh, a little from what from my perspective at the end of the chain, yeah, a little a little bit more. Uh, mature <laughs> but maybe that's not the right word but but in the end like like i say looking back i think what i was seeing was just the very end of a long series of decisions that had been had been made by people who were doing their darndest right and doing the best that they could and it's very easy to criticize but it's very hard to build something and it's even harder to build something of the scale that they built at chrome right like walshy and steve and then that was 450 people i remember seeing an email go around around that stage and like that's wow that's a lot of people that's a like knowing what I what our payroll is today, thinking, my God, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's a that's a big ship to 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 be the you know the captain of, and and 
a really hard one to, to change direction of. And they tried really hard to make that work. And I should say Chrome still exists today, right? It's, it's, it's different. It's not the same scale as it was, but you know, they recently released their um, Tyler Tasmanian Tiger onto, onto Steam. That's been doing fantastically mm -hmm. well. And, and I really hope that we can see them like come back again, right? And grow back up and become that thing. And they've obviously learned a lot of lessons on their journey as well. And they'll take that into, the, into this next phase of growth for them. But, but yeah, so I think that uh, what I would say to anyone is to just be kind to these people. They're doing their best, you know, try to offer support. Like if there's a thousand people telling them what they should do and what they did wrong. Um, to try and be someone who's, who's, uh, doesn't force them to relive the past, but helps them uh, reminisce about the good times, you know, double, double down on the good stuff and, uh, and, and commit to fixing the, the bad stuff when you're in that position yourself. Mm. And um, something like listeners are probably sick of me saying, but right. like um, game design is so unlike, it's like, it's a startup culture, but it's so unlike anything else really because you go home like you you go to work and you work on games but then you'll go home and you'll either play games or work on your own game but like it's cost an joke about like if you're in project ma management if that's your job you don't go home and boot up a kanban with your friends or you know something you like that you would be surprised you play <laughs> you play <laughs> games. people manage their D, &D groups and, yeah. and whatnot you'd be surprised oh that's a good point that's you play like game dev tycoon or something like that <laughs> yeah 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 no, uh, yeah, but no, it's, yeah. I, I always encourage people, I'm just sorry to, to jump in, but no. I always encourage people to sort of try and switch off. And it's something I try and practice, right? Like I try and leave work at work and, and uh, sometimes it drives my, my, my wife crazy because she's like, she wants to get detail and I've already turned my brain off. I'm like, no, no, I'm into, I'm in family mode now. I'm not thinking about it. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like try and find stuff that, uh, you know, try and find that balance, try and find ways to, to get away from your work and to just enjoy games for being games right it's hard to do that when you when you're making them you're always picking them apart but do your best yeah try your hardest yeah mm -hmm. how do you um how like when you sort of started mk it was sort of at the start of that wave where mobile uh, applications and, and mobile games well they probably were just becoming a thing at that point where do you if you know if you could cast your your sights on the future <laughs> where do you think th things might go or how do you like what trends do you see at the moment that um you see uh, you know if you see any shifts happening or anything like that yeah it's, it's hard to make any platform predictions yeah. right because there 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 were surprises to everyone yeah. <laughs> like each time so the things that that sort of sort of blow up and dominate I, I saw it first with the Wii, right? Which is that first one that came out of nowhere and just became this dominant player, dominant um, force in the industry and forced everyone to think about design and interface in a different way. Phones did it again as well, right? Like they forced us to think about touch and, and, and that tactile feedback. So I'm not going to make any predictions about platforms. Mm -hmm. There'll be things that emerge, right? And oftentimes you think, okay, when Apple enters an industry, then you know it's it's got legs. <laughs> so maybe wait yeah. for whatever Apple puts up next. But, uh, but in terms of trends, yeah, there's, there is some interesting stuff happening that we're seeing and it's, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a response to, to mobile, but it's a maturing of the expectations of people who grew up on mobile platforms, right? They're, they're looking for deeper and richer experiences and they're quite comfortable paying subscriptions, right? So you're seeing like Netflix is getting into gaming, Amazon, mm. Um, Microsoft has a subscription service now. Looks like PlayStation is about to follow suit and have their own one as well. So those services are driven by content, 
right? The, the, the investments that are going to be made into acquiring content for those platforms are going to be insane, mm. right? And so you're starting to see the start, you're starting to see it now with, uh, with uh, Netflix ramping up. Microsoft's been out there acquiring companies like rapidly, right? And you've seen companies like Embracer Group and others who are, who are doing the same to sort of try and build a buffer between themselves and, 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 and Microsoft. And, uh, but it means that there's just this huge demand for content in a, in a way that it just hasn't been in a very long period of time. And at the same time, it's a very particular kind of content. Like the, um, there's a push back towards premium experiences, but in a um, subscription environment. So which, which is weird, right? Because normally a premium experience, you know, you, you make a $50 box product, um, you make all your sales, you know, hopefully they um, shoot it through the roof. And if, you know, if, if a million people play, then you're rich. If 10 million people play, then you're very rich, right? But when, you, um, when you're in a subscription place, uh, you get paid to make the thing. And then there may be some kicker depending on players, but if it sells, you know, if a million people play it, then you get the, you got this, you got paid the same mm-hmm. than if 10 million people play it. So it's a very different type of business in terms of on the, on the creation side, you need to make sure that you're in essence, sort of front loading or padding out that, those, those contracts so that you are factoring in the fact that there's not going to be that large potential upside. Obviously you're mitigating all the downside, right? Cause someone else is paying for the content, but the, uh, but yeah, there's this real push towards premium experiences or, or at least finite experiences, things that you can start and you can finish mm-hmm. and then you can move on to the next thing, right? Like a subscription service doesn't work if they're all long tail, um, you know, uh, sort of idle games or, or, or attention games because you, you just can't service that many. You, no one's got that the amount of attention in the world to play all those games, right? So there's a real push towards things that are finite play experiences on, on mobile, on, on, on console, on PCI, everywhere. Apple Arcade is, mm. is pushing that direction as well, so that's that's fascinating, right? Because that's it's a it's a really fun place to be in because it's very experimental. You can try all sorts of different things because you know if it doesn't work, well, it's fine. Just like, it's, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you can move on and, and, and try the next thing, and you know sometimes free to play can be really fantastic. The, the highs can be so high, but the the grind to get there can be real tough as well, right? Like to 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 get all the numbers working in your favor so that you can then just turn all the dials up. That that's, it can be it can be a real slog, and so sometimes it's nice to just have someone go. Here's a million bucks, make me something cool. Yeah. Well, that one was kind of cool. Here's another million, make me something else. That's cool. yeah. Like it's, you know, that's that can be a fun place to play, and and I'm seeing that sort of uh, those sort of deals start to appear more and more, and and that's really exciting, right? Because Netflix, as I've shown, are willing to just try all sorts of stuff, right? So suddenly, all those crazy ideas yeah. that you thought no one would ever fund, there's mm. someone out there <laughs> with the big, you know, the big pocketbook. Yeah. Which I noticed, like, I think Netflix launched with, like, four titles and maybe one of them was, like, Solitaire or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my God, I love Solitaire. It's one of my favorite games of all time. So, <laughs> like, it's <laughs> just, uh, yeah, they, they hit the nail on the head. But, yeah, no, they, they, they think about content in a mm. different way. Look at what they did to, to, to film yeah, and TV. Definitely. That's what, they, that's what they're planning definitely. to do for games. And that, that gives you an idea of the scale that they were able to, to build so quickly. If they can do the same thing yeah. in games. That's it changes the landscape, right? And, yeah. Uh, and and have you have you been following any of the sort of hype around these um, NFT video games or uh, you know this new sort of technology that's attempting to be used in in games? Yeah, no, look, we we're always sort of keeping an eye on what's what's happening in the space. I, I I'm a bit of a um, skeptic when it comes to mm-hmm. tech. Uh, you know, it's certainly the whole you know tech will save the world. So I, uh, 
I, t- I take a bit of a wait and see mm. approach. Like I, I want to make sure that it's providing value to our customers essentially, mm. right? Like, and at the moment in the spaces we play in the, in the games that we've got in our pipeline, it doesn't, there's nothing that makes an obvious fit yeah. for us. Uh, and, and I think there's other, other risks. There's regulatory risks, obviously being a comp- public company and it, it brings a level of scrutiny and attention that man, I don't need any more. <laughs> yeah. <scrutiny. laughs> I got more enough of that, but, uh, but also it's, it's, there's still a lot of noise here. Like you mm-hmm. have pointed out, whenever there's like in this early stage of any tech, there's a lot of noise and it's about cutting through the noise to see what the real value is, how that affects users, how that, how that makes, you know, it makes the, the games we mm-hmm. make better, how it makes the experience for the user better, uh, how it makes us better developers and better storytellers. I, I don't know all the answers to those things yet. There's a lot of people who think they know, but we've seen a lot of them come and a lot of them go. I'll wait for the dust mm. to settle a little bit and then figure out how that looks and see whether that's something we want to apply to what we do. But uh, yeah, certainly not without its challenges and not, you know, not even just on the, the PR side or the, or the environmental side, but mm. just that regulatory side just makes it a real, real challenging one. But you know, the one, the one that's probably a bit more easy to understand is like this, this metaverse mm. concept, concept, right? That, uh, that I was going to say Facebook, are they still Facebook? Meta. They're meta. I mean, yeah. God, I mean, did they? Are they allowed to be that? I thought someone was suing. Uh, you know, the other one is, um, yeah, you know, uh, Epic are doing it as well, right? Everyone's got this, they want to be the, the platform for the metaverse. And that one for me is like, that's a simple one. That is a platform. That's just a place where people will go to get content. Yeah. And that's fine. Like we, we're happy to, to be where people are, right? You're happy to create content. So. There's definitely that dust to settle component, even yeah. with the metaverse. Like, you know, they're talking about, they're like, or what avatars you could use to be represented in a game as opposed to avatars yeah. you represented in the workplace. I'm like, okay, have you been to a workplace that isn't <laughs> a tech place? They barely know how to turn on the computer and you're going to put them in a virtual oh, world. Yeah. Like that's not happening. You can kind of see like the, uh, you know, the convergence of like these subscription platforms and, and, and how they're almost building, or like, you know, Netflix almost building their own, they have a platform and they're having games on there. So it's kind mm. of like their own metaverse or however they want to have um, yeah, experiences, you know, shared between all the different games and that sort of stuff. So it's an interesting space. It, it is. And, and like I look at it and I think it so obviously has got some productivity focus on it. Right. And I, I like, I, um, I was watching some of the early videos of it and, and uh, it reminded me of uh, what was that? The movie, the Chris Nolan one uh, with all the bendy walls. Inception, right. Inception. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where when you watch the trailers and they're like, we're going inside someone's mind. Anything can happen here. It's just the only limit is your imagination. I was like, holy shit, this movie is going to be off the wall. And then you go in there and they're like, we can imagine a hotel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> imagine that it's like a, bank. a real snowy place. And you're yeah. like, oh man. Yeah. A bank. <laughs> yeah. like, can we imagine something slightly cooler? <laughs> like, no, no, it's all, yeah. it's all very boring. And I was like, geez. It really sold me on that one. And, you know, I watched, I watched one of those meta videos where they're at an art gallery and they're looking at a painting and then they put on some goggles. I can't remember what they did. And then the, the painting starts dancing and then they step inside the painting and then all the animals are dancing. And I'm like, is this your vision of the future? So it's like paint, yeah. paintings just kind of go, woo. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, mate, come on. <laughs> we can do anything. And yeah. that's all you can do. Yeah make paintings dance it's like nah come on yeah, we can, yeah, we, yeah. surely we can dream bigger than this but, uh, oh, like what's the what's the product you're selling there do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh man anyway so i think that there's a i don't know maybe they're just trying to like you know like you say take some baby steps for people who mm. need to need to get there sooner but uh, i'm already leaping to the end game right which is like 
I want to be. I want to be in space. You know, coming back to yeah. Star Wars and Max Big. Yeah. I want to fly around yeah. the galaxy. I want to. I want to hold a sun yeah. in my hands, and I want to crash moons together. It's like, come on, do me, do me something that I can't, can't imagine, right? Like, take me somewhere I've never seen. But uh, no, that's uh, just paintings that dance, <laughs> and, in, and 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 like a base in the snow. Yeah, it's like, yeah. come on, guys. Another thing with the um. I, I guess kind of with the metaverse, but mainly as you were mentioning the subscription model kind of things is currency is like no longer the currency. It's because it's all, if it all gets bundled into a subscription service, um, there's almost like it loses, like it doesn't lose a value, but there isn't a money value tied to it. It's now someone's time. Cause they're going, I'm already paying for this subscription. Mm. Like, like a game pass, Xbox game pass. It's 17 a month, 17 Australian roughly. Um, so I've got all the games and data isn't an issue because most plans just offer unlimited data. So the only currency left in that kind of sense is time. So, you know, you could work on these like huge titles, um, and then get like a 20 minute playtime, And then they go, that was cool. Like nothing wrong with it, but now I'm going to move on to the, the next game. Did you, did you see that tweet about the, um, they, they calculated, for every minute of playtime of Mass Effect, someone saw like $170,000 worth of level art. <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, like the, the, oh, right. the investments and the return on, on you know, like on, on playtime and stuff is insane, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. It's a different value proposition. And, and if you think about an Australian game that just sort of had a bit of a success lately with unpacking, mm. that's a real discreet bite size. You can play it over an evening or two evenings. Like that's, it's, it's it, it, it works really well in a subscription sense, right? Because I don't know what you're like, but if I, if I sit down and I, when you've got Xbox Game Pass, you've also got EA um, access as well, right? And and I saw, I'm a massive ice hockey fan, so I saw NHL on there and I was like, man, do I really want to do that again? Because I, I just know how long it takes me to, you know, how much time I invest in those games. And so I look at it and I, I see the time investment, like you say, I just see that these hundreds of hours disappearing. Yeah. Whereas you look at unpacking, you're like, that's like four hours, I can do that. I can do that, I've got that time. It's, you know, it's why um, there was a joke that went around a long time ago about Netflix offering a a, um, a browse-only subscription where you can just look at all the, all the shows because, like, I get overwhelmed by it, right? Like, and, and it's there's some of them now which are into multiple seasons. I'm like, man, I, now the time investment for me to get across this. You got to get them early. Many hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh man, it's it's it is funny and and it is uh, something that you have to be cognizant of as you're designing those experiences for those platforms. Right? It's, what what you need to get people in you need to show value very quickly um and you need to uh be you know uh, respectful of their time let them go mm-hmm. let them go play something else that's fine yeah, yeah. yeah i think we're seeing we're seeing more games that sort of fit that like firewatch was another one that was a good mm. sort of in the early indicator of that trend right it's it's a good good three evenings to get through that but at least an impact right like it was it was a great great product yeah yeah well <laughs> Been, yeah. it has been a pleasure it has been just awesome picking your brain all this stuff something we always you know end with all our guests with is uh you know the advice they would give you know it, in your case you know if it's uh to young phil starting mighty kingdom if it's young phil uh, stepping into chrome leaving new zealand like what's the thing that's kind of got you through <laughs> or keeps you going or what, what would you like to have told yourself well, the thing that I was telling myself then, the thing I, I, I keep telling myself today is, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. How hard can it be? That's that sort of got me through a lot, right? I always think 
So other people have done this before. I'm not the first person in the world to do this. So surely I can figure it out. <laughs> now that's led me into some difficult situations, but it's also <laughs> created a lot of opportunities. And yeah, it's a challenging one. I wouldn't want to change much because there's a lot that I learned along the way. A lot of people I met and a lot of, uh, a lot of things I had to learn the slow way. I don't think there's any shortcuts, right? You've got to sometimes work through this stuff. But uh, yeah, I'd probably encourage myself, uh, be bold. Like just uh, don't be afraid to get it wrong uh, and have, you know, aim high. Why not? Like just go, mm. go for it. Don't, don't, uh, what are the whole I'm saying? If you shoot for the stars, you might, even if you fall short, you mm. might land on the moon or something. I can't remember how it goes, but. The other way yeah. around, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, I think that's, that's, uh, that's it, right? Just, I, I, I spent a lot of the time having pretty modest ambitions and uh, it took me a while to learn to think big and, and, to, and to be a bit more braver about imagining a better world and just taking a punt on making it happen. So mm. maybe I could have got here a year or two sooner. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, uh, you know, that's, that's probably what I'd say. Awesome. Not, um, we're, the other thing is we always say, you know, where can people reach out and find you and yourself personally and Mighty Kingdom and what, what do we look out for? Yeah, probably the, the easiest way um, to follow Mighty Kingdom is on Twitter, at Mighty Kingdom. I'm on Twitter as well, at PJM, although I'm much more, uh, <laughs> post a lot less. But if you follow me there, I'll, I often follow back and that's a good way to get in touch. Uh, otherwise, just uh, through the hello at mightykingdom.com. Uh, just let them know you're trying to find me and, and it'll make its way to my desk. Oh, perfect. Phil, thank you so much. 